0: All righty, we're back for another exciting edition of Cloverleaf, COVID Leaf Radio. I'm the host of the most, the king of the quarantine, Jimmy Falcon, and it is an absolute pleasure to be joined again today with Peter Elbling. How are you, Peter?
1: I'm very well, very well indeed, and I take it
0: you are too? I'm doing as good as I can for the days that we have uh, with us, ahead of us, and then in the recent past. How have you gotten through uh, everything with COVID?
1: I've been staying at home a lot um, and uh, just working on different projects, you know, and actually that's worked out just fine for me.
0: Oh, wow, interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, there hasn't been a lot of, you know, I I haven't gone out a lot because I just fear a lot of people are not taking care of themselves and they won't take care of me,
0: you know? Yeah, that's unfortunate. And, of (laughs) course, uh, I mean... Getting up there in age is even worse with all this COVID stuff, so I, I don't blame you for for keeping yourself at a distance.
1: Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Now,
0: where are you exactly? I'm in central Illinois. Central Illinois. What's it like there? No, boring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're about three hours south of Chicago. Uh, we have the University of Illinois. It's kind of in the area, but... Myself, I live out on a five hundred on a, out of a town of five hundred people on a farm. Oh my God! How great, though! Isn't that great? Yeah, there's not much to do around here. It gets kind of boring. I'm glad I have a reliable vehicle and the will to travel.
1: Oh, good, good. Okay, okay. Well, now we've dealt with that. What else is going on? Let's
0: see. Well, of course, you're from uh, jolly old England, where my ancestors were from, and someplace I'd always like to visit. Um, is that where you started your acting career, and what kind of made you want to be an actor? Um,
1: you know, I, I never had great ambitions to be an actor, um, I just knew I wanted to do something, I wasn't sure what, and first of all, I started out as a folk singer, believe it or not, because oh, wow. when I was 17, 18 years old in London, um. I was introduced to a lot of folk clubs, and uh, that became my inspiration. So I bought a guitar and I started singing folk songs. And then I emigrated to Canada because I needed to get out of the house, as it were. And Canada seemed a far enough away place uh, where I couldn't be—I sort of come back if things went wrong, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know how much you know about my history, but I met a French-Canadian there called Michelle Choquette, and we formed a comedy team, which, again, was never sort of in the cards for me. It was not something I aspired to. But it was something I found that I could, um, not only could I do, but I really enjoyed. And for a couple of years, we traveled around Canada. and No, not even that long. For about a year, we traveled around Canada, and then everybody said, oh, you should go to the States. So we journeyed down to Los Angeles, and we began to... uh, Perform in nightclubs here, and then we went to New York, and we got a television career, and we did all sorts of TV shows, uh, like Carson and Mitford Griffin, and uh, I don't know how many of your listeners are old enough to uh, remember those shows. craft Music Hall, the Team martin show, we appeared on all of those. And after about four or five years, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be an actor.
0: Hmm.
1: And so I quit that, and I became an actor.
0: Well, yeah, I, I'm gonna be 33 this year, so I do know those names. Um, but uh, I did want to ask what it was like being on uh, the Dean Martin show. That had to be pretty cool. I always loved Dean Martin's music.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, he was very nice. I mean, it was very interesting because it was run by a guy, that sort of producer. It was Greg Garrison, if I remember correctly, and he stood in for Dean Martin five days a week.
0: Hmm.
1: He stood in for the sketches and the songs and everything, and Dean came in on the last day, and that's why he sort of looked so casual, because he was so casual. He just sort of breezed through everything. And I remember meeting him, and he said, Hi, guys, I like what you do. And that was about it. Hmm. <laughs> but I I did a short sketch with Sid Caesar.
0: Oh, wow. Which
1: quite fun. Yeah. And and during those days I met all sorts of people who I think at the time I didn't quite realize their significance in the world, you know, or at least in that world. I mean I met Groucho Marx.
0: Wow. I met uh Say the secret way and divide a hundred dollars.
1: I beg your pardon.
0: Oh, I said, say the secret way and divide a hundred dollars.
1: There you go. <laughs> there you go all of the other I remember being with Groucho and somebody coming up to him and saying "Groucho, you probably don't know me and Groucho said I'm probably the
0: better for it
1: <laughs> <laughs> there was no one faster on the planet
0: oh my gosh yeah, yeah impeccable comedy and just a great mind and uh could work television to movies he just really could do it all and have such a successful long career yeah
1: yeah he was um it was interesting because this was around 1966, 67, wow. so I dressed in these outrageous clothes, you know, because everybody was in those days, and we both had long hair. And Groucho came from an old school, you know, and he didn't approve of us at all, except this was on the Kraft musical, I think. Um, and everybody rehearsed for like five days, and then we shot on the sixth day. Hmm. But. It, we would rehearse all the time, and on the third day Groucho came and he saw us rehearsing and he approved of that and so that got us the um, you know the signature of approval. He said, "Good boys, good boys." Again that was about all he said to us you know? but it, getting the mark of approval from Groucho was worth it. You know? <coughs>
0: Oh, yeah. It had to be uh, interesting. I'm sure you've had such a... Well, I know you've had such a great career in paper, but, I mean, you've had to add such great memories and experiences.
1: Yeah, yeah. They've been they've been really fun, I must say. Really fun. And then I had a lot of fun. I joined the committee, which people don't really know of nowadays, but they were... A, West Coast Improvisational Group that was a spin-off from the Second City. Okay.
0: I think you must know about the Second City. Oh, absolutely, City. yeah. And I was in Second City for a couple of months, too. <clears throat>
1: Excuse me, and I joined the company at the same time as John Belushi, who became a really good friend for a while. Oh, yeah. And um, numerous other people. So I've been very fortunate, very, very fortunate. Well,
0: it's kind of interesting you brought up Belushi because I was going to go toward National Lampoon, because I, I didn't notice that the last time that I interviewed you, but I noticed the picture with you and Chevy and John and a host of the others. What was that whole experience like and uh, what was John Belushi like in real life? Well,
1: when I met John, he was just starting out as an actor. I mean, he was already incredible, you know. He was already quite wonderful. Um, and uh, I think, and then, then he went to New York and he Became the lead in a, in a show called Lemmings, which was a, the first half was a set of sketches, and the second half was a parody of Woodstock. Oh, wow. Which had happened just a couple of years earlier. Mm-hmm. And John was the MC, and he also did this incredible parody of Joe Cocker. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> and he was, I mean, he was just wonderful. And I think, um, you know, fame got to him. As it does to a lot of people, and the money was endless, and uh, you know the parties and the drugs and all the rest of that. And uh, uh, but uh, I think at the same time he was having an amazing, amazing time. You know, he had a great old time. He met everybody, and and everybody admired him enormously because nobody could do what John did. I mean, nobody.
0: And oh, no. he was
1: a wonderful improviser, a wonderful improviser, and just
0: hysterically funny, you know? Hysterically funny. I mean, you look at uh, two of the actors who really influenced it. also didn't have long lives, I mean, uh, John Candy and Chris Farley, I mean, just those two guys, those three all together, such great talent, and so uh, sad those three passed away so young. Indeed, indeed,
1: yeah, yes, I agree, I agree. But anyway, I I didn't know the others, but John I knew a little Mm -hmm. bit, I mean, because then after a while he went to Hollywood, and uh, right. but, but when I knew him we had a great time together it was really
0: fun really fun that's very cool one of my favorite actors uh, I would say comedian but he didn't consider himself one was Andy Kaufman you got to work with him on an episode of Taxi which was such a hilarious series uh, what was that whole experience like? Well, I remember <laughs> this was <laughs> I didn't again you, you must understand but when you work on those shows You mean everybody has their own dressing room right know? And,
1: and it's really, I don't want to say it's a grind, that's not fair, but you're working there, you know, week, day in, day out, week in, week out. And when you're not on set, you go to your dressing room, which is where Andy went. So we got to say hello a little bit, but not too much else, except one day he came up to me and he said, you know, we were just standing around and he said, um, I've just been interviewed by this woman. She wants to see my rubber room. And at the time Andy was always talking about that he had a rubber room.
0: <laughs> and, uh, oh my of course
1: he didn't have a rubber room. <laughs> and this woman kept persisting <laughs> I don't remember what he said he didn't oh he used to I think
0: he used to claim that he wrestled women uh-huh. in his rubber room. Um,
1: and of course he didn't have a rubber room at all. <laughs> and this woman kept persisting and it took him ages to get rid of her. And he had just got rid of her when he came up to me. He said, I don't have a
0: rubber room. What's the matter with her? <laughs> that, was,
1: that was the extent of the conversation. But he was hilarious, too. Oh. There's so many wonderful actors and comedians. I mean, he was a comedian. I mean, he used to do a stand-up act. It was very odd and strange.
0: Yeah. But that's how he became noticed, because of his stand-up act. Oh, absolutely, and someone else that passed away too young and ended up influencing a lot of people as well. Oh, no question
1: about it. No question about it. Yeah, he was great. He was terrific. It was wonderful to see him walk on the set and then suddenly go into this character. I mean, it was like 180 degrees. It was just terrific. I was very fortunate. I learned a lot from him, as from everybody else, you know
0: absolutely and um, you co-wrote a film with Gary Goodrow called Big Baby which turned into a film I really enjoy Honey I Blew Up the Kid directed by a man I had the uh, honor of interviewing Randall Kleiser Um, how did the idea come for Big Baby aka Honey I Blew Up the Kid how did you guys come up with with all that and how hard of an experience was it or is it to write a script well um, it was again a real
1: Hollywood story Gary and I produced and directed a series of sketches called The Hollywood Primary, which we used to do on Saturday nights every six weeks with a wonderful group of actors. And one day when we were working, Gary I don't know how he came up but he said he said something about I've got this idea for a movie called Big Baby and I remember saying, oh my God, I want to write that with you. And after a couple of years we wrote it and we got it to got it to various producers and all of a sudden I remember several years later I saw an announcement in one of the trades, a Hollywood reporter saying honey I blew up the kid or big baby, oh I know what it was, when you write a movie and, uh, there's a ch- and it's going to be made then um, the script goes in front of the writers guild and there's a panel and they decide who should get credit for it And it was bought by, I can't remember who bought it now, 20th Century Fox or someone like that. And so they sent it to us with the credits and our name was not on the credit. Oh no. So we immediately appealed and said, no, 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 we wrote the original big baby to this. And they read our scripts and they said, yes, there's enough in the final version to justify us getting credit but we had nothing to do with the making of the film at all. We uh, we were out of the picture. Mm. I mean, that's not an uncommon thing that happens in Hollywood. That's why when you go to the movies and there's often four or five people credited to a movie, it's because somebody, person A wrote it and then person B rewrote it, and then it was bought by a different film company and they mm. hired person C to write it, you know? And it just depends. You have to have enough of your original script, like 25% or something like that, has to be in the final version to get credit. And fortunately, um, that was the case with us.
0: Wow, that's amazing. I, I guess I didn't realize it broke down that, uh, that crazily. <laughs> oh,
1: yes. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. Because, as you can imagine if you have
0: a hit movie there's a lot of money to be made, and everybody wants to be in on it you know oh absolutely I think everybody uh, strives to be famous and then those who are famous would probably strive to live on a farm like I do and be in a nominee the first thing they do is go and buy a farm somewhere in central Illinois yeah absolutely absolutely (laughs) should just hawk this place off to Johnny Depp and go out out west (laughs) Well, you're probably surrounded by them but you never see them, you know, they're <laughs> hiding out all the time. <clears throat> oh, that'd be interesting. You're also uh, an accomplished author as well, doing a children's book, and um, done a novel novel as well. Um, what what was your desire to start writing, and uh, what have some, been some of the pleasures and problems in you know, doing your own stuff? Um, well, I've always written,
1: even... Even when I was just an actor and even I, I was always trying to write things not very successfully necessarily but I was <laughs> excuse me I was always trying to write or I was writing um, and the novel came about in an interesting way I remember I, I went to a French restaurant with the lady I was living with at the time and we came home and we were violently ill mm. and uh, you know, we'd spent quite a bit of money at the restaurant, and I thought, well, that's not right, you know. So I went back to the restaurant the next day when it opened, and I spoke to the Major D, and I said, Excuse me, um, but I was here at your restaurant last night, and I ate a meal, and I got very sick. And he said, uh, What did he say? He said, um, Well, that's not my fault, or something. Like that. But I said, Well, I know it's not your fault, but. Um, don't you think I should be compensated in some way? He said, well, uh, maybe you didn't like the food. I said, no, no, no. I mean, it, maybe, no. what did you say? He said, maybe you need a food taster. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, well, maybe what you need is a clip around the ears.
0: But yeah. I didn't
1: say anything because a food taster, I thought, oh, my God, what an incredible idea to write about a food taster. I haven't read any novels about that. So I went home and I started writing. And it took me a while to decide what period of, um, you know, I should set it in. And my research led me to decide that I would set it during the Italian Renaissance because there were still many, not many books, but there were several books around which had recipes from the Italian Renaissance that I could use. And so that became the basis of my book. And it's set in the early 1500s in not central Illinois, but in central (laughs) Italy. And uh, as I said, it took me five years to write it. And uh, it turned out to be far more successful than I dreamed in the sense that it was published in 20 countries around the world. Interestingly enough, the only country in Europe that it wasn't in was Italy and my publisher said they were going to publish it but when they found out it wasn't written by an Italian they said no Hmm. Italy was one of the few countries in Europe where it was never never, uh, published
0: Wow I was wondering how you could uh, how hard it was to get inspiration for a country so far away and um, not where you're from or anything like that
1: well, as you know, the Renaissance, there's been so many books mm-hmm. written about the Renaissance because it was such an incredible period, and it gave me the opportunity to, to go there twice and do a lot of research while I was there, which was wonderful. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, very much so.
0: I have yet to leave the country, but I'd love to uh, go to England someday, maybe Canada. I have some places I'd like to go.
1: Yeah, well, Boothby is an English name, isn't it? You mm-hmm. said that right oh, at the yeah. beginning. Right? Mm-hmm. Do you have relatives over there
0: that you know of? No, I, not that I know of. I know I've done a little bit of ancestry, and I've seen names of some that exist, but I have yet to to, to put that down. But I'm sure, I'm sure there is.
1: Oh, yeah, well, you must go, man. I think you'll have a wonderful time. Don't go right now, because if you go to England right now, they quarantine you for weeks I think or something. Oh yeah. So wait till this is over and then hurry on over
0: there. <laughs> Sadly night
1: and day compared to your farm.
0: Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'd love to go to Buckingham Palace and see Big Ben and there's there's so much culture and history and fun stuff to do over there.
1: Oh sure. Sure. If you do go let me know. I'll give you some people to look up.
0: Oh absolutely. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me again today, Peter. What's the uh, future got going for you? you? Got any projects or anything you could uh, discuss or would like to plug?
1: Well, actually, I do. I've just finished another novel. I'm looking for a publisher now. It's called ACTS, A-C-T-S, of Amusement. It's a comic novel. And um, I'm not sure what I'm allowed to say on the air, but I did a series of short videos called Have You Lost Your Effing Mind? Hmm. And I just put one up on TikTok, and it's got, I think, nearly 400,000 hits, and there's a whole series of them. And if you go to my website, www.peterelbling.com, and look under Director, you can see them all there and enjoy.
0: Yeah, I'll have to go check them out.
1: Please <clears throat> do Let me know what you think. And anybody else of that matter?
0: Well, I'm glad you have some great stuff in the works and you've just been busy for so long. It uh, it's probably just seems better to be busy than bored.
1: Yeah, yes, yes. Although it's a beautiful day outside here and I'm going to walk down by the ocean and be bored. Well,
0: so I will uh, think of
1: you and your farm. And everybody listening, I wish them well.
0: Thank you so much, Peter. Enjoy the rest of your evening and enjoy your, your brisk walk. I'm sure it's going to be wonderful.
1: Oh, man take
0: care of yourself you too all right bye all right. righty guys big thanks to peter elbling i'm going to take a short break and then we're going to get recording on uh, the first episode of our memories of ted's warehouse podcast so stay, well, i'd say stay tuned but it's pre-recorded so just uh click on over thank you everybody for listening have a great night